So after failing to schedule a recording time for the last three weeks, we decided we're going to do another mini-sode to compliment Justin and Pam's, and today it'll be me and Jervon. So Jervon, what have you been up to recently? guess I have a few things in the pipeline. Planning a conference with Comcast about software as craft, similar to the meetup that Justin started. Uh, it should be public today, so we can talk about it. Going to a couple conferences in the fall, and just been working in op stuff that's pretty much it you did that like it was a (laughs) stand-up so where's your conference going to be at so the conference is going to be held at the barnes foundation which is um an art museum in philadelphia if you haven't read about barnes you should look it up on wikipedia and watch the documentary it's really it's a really interesting story but i was pretty impressed that comcast was able to swing that that spot as a venue so. Is there like a room with projectors in the barns? Like I've taken the tour, but I didn't see anywhere. Like you could have a conference. I asked them to see a picture of the room. They haven't sent it to me yet, but apparently it's like a, a room with stadium seating. So I'm guessing it's like a, a classroom style setup, uh, similar to like a university classroom or something. And then they have like a, an area where like you break and where you could eat food and stuff because you can't eat anywhere in the in the museum really. So yeah, it's a free conference. Tickets will go on, I guess, sale later. And there is a CFP. So if you're interested in speaking at the conference, we will have a link in the show notes. Are you going to come, Len? Uh, I'm thinking about it. We have a wedding that weekend. So uh, this is October 17th, right? A Tuesday? Oh, yeah. It's a Tuesday, October 17th. So, yeah, that might be a little a little tricky for me to swing. If people don't know what the software craftsmanship like movement's about, like what kind of, a, what kind of talks are you looking for? So they're usually just high-level talks, um, not very like language-specific, but it's stuff around just software development in general and bettering your yourself, I guess. So things like you know how to be a better manager or the right way to test something or the way that you think should should test something or like a software pattern that's helping you at work or some different way of thinking that you think would be good to share. Uh, so what are some what are some talks in the past from the uh, the the meetup? Let's see. I know there was one talk that was like, "Don't call yourself an engineer" or, or something like that. Uh, Pam actually gave the first talk at this meetup. Um, so there's stuff like how to contribute to open source or like big data ideas, um, the modern email experience. I'm just going through and reading the, the, the topics that have have been in the past. There was stuff on HTTP two. Just meta stuff around software development, I think. So why are you doing it as a, a free conference? Like, are you worried about attrition? Like, I hear, you know, a lot of people that do free conferences, when people don't pay any money, they're, I've, I've just seen they're, like, a lot more prone to, uh, you know, not want to wake up in the morning and just so, end up canceling. So the uh, so Comcast did a series of conferences this year. I think we set out to do four, and... Um, this is the fourth installment, uh, and most of them were free, and one they charged $5 for. And the, I think employees tend to be the biggest. Um, they are the ones that end up not showing up. Wait, Comcast employees? Yeah, because the conferences are split between uh, the public, academia, and um employees we try to have a good balance of attendees because someone will be like oh like i have a project that's due soon or you know i got a meeting today that i didn't think about so i'm not going to go to that thing because it's on 
the the past conferences have been on site like at at the comcast center so apparently they they have been the ones uh that uh have been the offenders but we're, we're trying to brainstorm uh ways to get get around that and i think so so far there was one that we charged for which ended up kind of being weird because we like i expense mine and then i don't know but the uh the one way to get around that is just to over over book over sell tickets because mm. uh, there's guaranteed that you know some people won't show up and if you get more people we could just get more seats uh and I, I guess as far as why it's free we're not trying to make a profit i guess it's just trying to do something for the community. You get to avoid all the logistics of... Wait, so do, are people still going to buy tickets, or is it just kind of like people show up? No, so there will be a, a purchase ticket uh, page where you go in and fill out your name and register. There will be a registration process, and there is a max that we can register. Is there is there a URL people can register? Yeah, I'll, I'll put it in the, the show notes. I don't think the uh, registration opens yet, but today, the I think this morning, the site went live. Do you have a domain? I'll, I don't know. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. I think the conference is called, well, I, I don't think it has a name yet. <laughs> there's there's been this long battle between, I think I can talk about this. Um, so, you know, Justin owns, Justin came up with Software as Craft, the meetup, and there's Software as Craft, uh, Software Craftsmanship Conference of North America. But, you know, Justin gave us the rights to, to use it. And um, there's just been like this long legal thing about whether or not we could use it or not. So Wait, because software's craft is too close to SCNA. No, um, just we're not even bothered with SCNA. It's just uh, they want to make sure that Justin was the one that can give us permission and like what are his like is someone gonna take over the meetup later and be super mad that we used it and stuff like that. It's just like a bunch of legal stuff, but. Mm. You know, me and you would just be like, yeah, just use it, whatever. But lawyers are like doing their due diligence. Yeah. And then I was like, can we change? Can we just change the name? <laughs> Everyone was like, no, <laughs> because we'll start the whole process again oh, of okay. them do research and all that stuff. So. Cool. That sounds exciting. Yeah. What have you been up to? So I just went through my last spree of interviews. You know, I mentioned in our interviewing episode, I've had a horrible, horrible uh, year of interviewing and getting rejected. Uh, so I just had three different interviews at three different companies and I got three offers. And then that was turning out to be the actual hardest decision because they all seem like they could be really amazing in all their own rights. So it was a, it was a really tough call. Um, so yeah, so I made a decision and I'll be uh, writing Elixir, React, React Native, and Rails for Hammer. Wow, that's cool. Congrats. Thanks. Um, you mentioned some languages, but do you know how they're using those things? Yeah, and part of the reason uh, I went with Hammer, uh, they did my favorite interviewing process, which, uh, which was us actually pairing on their production code base, and we worked on a ticket oh, nice. in their system. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I know exactly what I'm getting into, and that's like why it's my favorite favorite interviewing practice. So I know you know how everyone works because I've paired with them. I know exactly what the code base looks like. I know what the stack looks like, and I I feel really confident that I know what I'm getting into on day one. 
And I think the other thing when I was making the decision was uh, I kept wanting to get back into that code base because I actually had fun pairing. <laughs> so I knew that I'd have fun. I think the other two could have could have also been amazing. I think they probably would have been amazing, but I still had a little bit of uncertainty. Uh, and with Hammer, I was just knowing that I would uh, love it on day one. Um, is there a remote? Uh, yeah, Hammer is remote. So okay. I'll be back to So how did you pair? Working. Uh, we paired on Zoom. Oh, nice. Yeah. I I really like Zoom. Uh, I haven't paired with it, but like uh, that we've done remote meetings on them or like remote remote presentations, and the quality is really really good. Uh, oh, just let me back that up. We, uh, we paired on Screen Hero as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Will be fun. Yeah. When do you start? Uh, Monday. Ooh. Do you have to fly out somewhere, or is it just? Uh... No, there's an office in San Diego, but everybody is remote. So. Okay. Yeah. What does Hammer do? Uh, so the product is helping car lots manage their inventory and cross-post to Craigslist. And if you've ever posted anything to Craigslist, uh, you'll know that people there want to negotiate. And a lot of people aren't serious. They'll be like, oh, I know you want uh, money for this, but how about uh, we trade a box of old shoes? So <laughs> there's a lot of work in like qualifying actual leads. Uh, Interesting. So, so yeah, so kind of like a... I like that you said uh, the Craigslist list. <laughs> the craigslist yeah so what have you been up to at work Trevon? uh just a bit a lot of terraforming a lot of a lot of that type of stuff um we have a push to move some of our stuff well, most of our stuff to the public cloud so i've been sort of working on that effort um and some days it's tougher than others <laughs> but it's kind of it's pretty exciting so what does uh, that look like i know so little about devops like uh, what kind of a uh... What is the workflow for building Terraform like? So traditionally, so the, the goal is like to keep things simple as possible, right? Um, like we have a, a Ruby service and it's a runs on JRuby, so you're just going to build a, a war. And we have this base AMI, which is an Amazon image um, that you can you can reuse and deploy. And we'll just spin one of those up. Uh, use pa- we'll use Packer to, to spin it up. And just like drop the war or any deployment artifact on it, and then produce another AMI, and then um, we'll write some Terraform, which is just controlling resources in whatever cloud you're in. Is that like analogous to how you'd use Kubernetes, or are they used in unison? Instead of producing uh, AMI, you would produce a Docker container, and then you would just push it to the the Kubernetes scheduler, and it will like start running it. You would. You would use Terraform to set up the Kubernetes cluster, and then I'm not sure. Like there's there's different ways, I guess, to to schedule your your container or to push it out to Kubernetes. And then for well for us, we we would just say like write a Terraform resource, just say, hey, spin up ten AWS instances with this AMI, and that will be our services. And then there's like other parts of Terraform like. It's getting pretty cool. Like you look at Terraform and you, you think like it's just like a a static static um like just this dummy JSON looking thing, but I've been doing some cool sort of refactoring and structuring with it that I could probably talk about once I see if it works or not. But sort of just like layering layering the Amazon VPC in, in different ways using Terraform. Um and that's it. I mean, you set up your alerts, you set up your um, your health checks and your DNS entries with Terraform. 
one of the biggest, I think, challenges that we run into is having sometimes AWS talk to to the internal data centers or the the managed data centers, since such a big big behemoth of both things. It's uh, sometimes there's just like a random firewall rule or something that just messes with you. Like this week, we ran into a problem where something was being natted and it wasn't the right IP that we were expecting to open up to. And we spent like some time on that, just working out the kinks. Like a lot of things, the interesting thing about software development is you know, the problem is never what you think it's going to be, right? <laughs> like you'll be like, oh yeah, we're going to move to AWS. And no, nah, that looks, it's going to be a lot of work, right? But we can handle that. And then you get into it and you're like, realize like, oh, we didn't think about this random thing that was going to be in our way. Like it's never the thing you, the problem is never the problem you foresee. It's always some other thing. Yeah, I always hate quoting Donald Rumsfeld, but they're the, uh, there's the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. And it's mm-hmm. always, always the unknown unknowns that get you. Yeah, it's crazy. So how do you, how do you like, what, how do you develop that? How do you test it without deploying a massive AWS infrastructure? That's a good question. Uh, so we have, we have separate VPCs. What you should do is have separate accounts. Um, so, you know, you have like a, a CI account. Uh, that way everything is uh, separated. Um, there's, a, there's a line between production and CI or staging. Um, but we have two VPCs that, you know, we'll run, um, run something and see if it works. Um, and then if it works there, run in production. Uh, before that, when we were just playing around, we would just run everything in, in one VPC. Uh, the, the trick to that is um, running Terraform plan uh, before you run Terraform apply. So like, if there's something unexpected that's going to happen, plan is going to tell you. Be like, hey, I'm going to delete this thing. Or hey, I'm going to change this thing. And you could you know, run it or not run it or figure out why it's going to do that. And also keep your changes small. So, you so know, what's, what's the output for Terraform plan? Is that just a text? So, <clears throat> yeah, it's just uh, it's color-coded in your terminal. Uh, red for deleting, yellow for changing, green for adding. Um, and then let's say you're uh, spinning up a new stack, right? You're going to do, let's say, a RDS and two web instances. First time you're running it. If you're on Terraform plan, I'll tell you what it's going to do. So it's going to be like, all right, there are going to be two instances. This is going to be uh, the security group on it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then on the bottom, it'll say like, adding three, zero change, zero destroyed. And let's say you run, run that, but you want to change the like name of the, the instances to like uh, Turing, from Turing.cool to Turing incomplete. Um, it'll show you in yellow, and it'll, it'll be like an arrow. It'll say like Turing.cool, arrow, Turing incomplete. Um, so you see exactly what's going to change. And then you run it. Also, like, you shouldn't keep all your state in one place. Your state should be version. Like, everything is in GitHub and version S3 buckets. So if anything were to go wrong, you could just uh, apply it again. Apply the last version that you knew uh, was working. Um, and also, we're never, like, destroying things. We're always adding things and destroying later. It's like doing a database migration and production, right? Mm. Yeah. How do you uh, has your transition been from doing ops from from software development? Or are you still doing a lot of development? 
I mean, I'm treating this as software development. So code reviews, you know, making sure, like sort of bringing some of those principles into into the ops code. Because the last thing we want is like a giant piece of Terraform or a giant ball of Terraform that no one knows how to use or has just been piled onto. Um, so I'm still like using things that I, I've, known, I've known from the past. Um, uh, you know, breaking stuff into modules, sort of making things reusable and creating, you know, some abstractions around things and building tools to, to help your day to day is, is a big thing. Like, you know, things like make files and whatnot. Um, but the, the, there's definitely a gap in my knowledge about certain system stuff. Like, you know, sometimes I, I run into things of like, how does these these deep VM settings work, or like some TCP settings, um, like stuff like that? I don't know. That's where I have to reach out to the people. So it's basically like working with the people that have been doing this stuff. Like we have a Cassandra person, and then I'll work with them, get some of the base stuff done, and figure out. Like then he'll pass some knowledge on to me about like what's the Cassandra piece that, that needs to happen and where are the settings that, that this should this should run as and stuff like that. What's an example of like a TCP setting that doesn't work? Like you have a machine that's not like accessible to the internet or secure? No, like we have, we run Cassandra, right? So we have like, uh, what's like four data centers of Cassandra and you add another one, AWS. Um, and then each Cassandra has to replicate to one another, right? It's like, let's say A, B, and C. So A has to go to B, and B goes to C. When we add in, uh, when we added the, the AWS uh, data center, replication um, was really terrible. But we were using like super beefy machines with good network transfer, and we have like a direct connect, and we were like, we were seeing stuff like from the West Coast to the East Coast transferring faster than like our East Coast data center and our East Coast AWS. So we were like, what's what's going on? Is there like a firewall somewhere that's just like bogging things down or like DSCP markings? And so we went uh, on the machines, on the Cassandra machines, we uh, did a TCP dump for the transfers and sort of analyzed the packets and saw like the pressure that was happening on TCP and was able to tune it, tune that and get uh, the network transfer that we needed. Basically one machine could not keep up because of, of this setting. Um, and then the Cassandra that was sending it data was, was like, you're not getting my data, you're not getting my data. So I'm gonna keep sending the same thing over and over that therefore not sending any new data over. Really? But the cool thing about working at a big company is, like one of the things you can appreciate about working at a big company is uh, you don't have to figure that out. There's like a, someone that you can go to and um, ask them to figure it out for you with with your help, of course. Like, I did the TCP dump and whatnot, but this person like analyzed it and shared it. Nice. The one thing that's really annoying about DevOps sort of work is the feedback loop. Yeah. Just like 
you make a change and then you have to build another machine or another thing and then you're you're like oh fuck i forgot to put that comment in there and it's gonna fail yeah i had a hard time i've spent like exactly one week of my life pairing on devops and maybe it's better now because this was like in the chef and knife days i don't know if Mm -hmm. those are still things that are used very much i don't think so but yeah it was it was really tough i would make a change and then five minutes later see the results and i forgot what i was even expecting to see (laughs) five minutes later yeah it's totally totally get distracted how do you manage that i don't know if i have a good answer to that like i guess if i'm running it i'll just go like read read some more code or go and review it to make sure that nothing's gonna fail or um yeah do something else i guess i'm not uh, i'm not sure hopefully I'm, i'm doing a good job at it but I also try to keep things very small, um, so like not do too much in each Terraform run or tiny changes. Yeah, I've had uh, long feedback cycles with some UI testing, and I basically cloned the repository in a different spot so I could basically be working on my project in two different places. So while I was waiting mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting to see UI results in one ticket, I could be writing like logic in another directory. Are you going to any conferences? So, um, I'm going to go to Liberty JS in Philly for sure. Uh, and then I'm not sure. I actually got to be rethinking that because I'm uh, an employee again and not a contractor. So I think all the math works out for me to be able to travel more. Uh, and I'm also a remote employee, so I can actually probably work, uh, on my travel days. So I think I will be nice. I need, to, I need to start looking at which ones I'm going to go to. Of course, code mash in January. My favorite conference. Um, Maybe I'll go to that next year. Although I don't know about traveling in the winter time, though. It's pretty. It's pretty. Especially easy. going to Michigan. Okay. Well, you you fly to the airport. Uh, it's Ohio. Uh, actually, the weather tends to be crappy that week, but you basically get a shuttle to the hotel and never leave it. So. It's... What do you do when you go to a hotel and there's not like a grocery store close by? You uh, either have a friend that takes you with a car to the grocery store that's mm-hmm. two miles away, or just uh, so this is a conference center, so there actually is a little bit of a snack bar, but it's like okay, you're typical. You're not going to get anything healthy, uh, but you basically just eat. Uh, the conference does provide two meals a day, and they're it's a pretty big buffet, so you do have your options. So you basically only have to deal with dinner like one or two nights. Uh, because there's actually usually food at some like some of the conferences sponsored parties as well. So yeah, mm. food's basically um, you're not going to eat anyway, for, my wor- for for a week, but you'll be fed. My workflow for going to a conference is get there, find a CVS or like some type of grocery store, and buy a gallon of water, some salsa water, and some some chips. <laughs> I I eat unhealthy. It's really, yeah, I'm really bad when I go to a conference or just travel in general it must be like a comfort food thing or something yeah two years ago i felt really gross because i was uh i was actually spending all night in the board game room and then i would wake up too late for breakfast and just i, I ate pop tarts like every day for breakfast it's gross mm. gross i haven't had a pop tart in so long i mean they're delicious but you know i never found them delicious they were just good sticks of sugar yeah uh, that's, that's what's great about them i like the toaster strudels have you had those 
I don't like this. Oh man. I don't like the texture. They're flaky I, and ugh. I love flaky things. It's the best. <laughs> so you don't like baklava then? No. I mean, I'll eat it. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't like that texture. Interesting. So croissants either? Oh, I hate croissants. What? Uh, so on that note, <laughs> you have anything else you want to say on the episode? <laughs> I'll be at Strange Loop. Uh, and that's pretty much it. So those are your, those are your conference plans? Yeah, I'm going to conferences next month. Uh, Strange Loop and Chaos Community Day. What's Chaos? So are you familiar with Chaos Engineering? No, I don't think so. It's like this... All right, so chaos engineering is this like new practice in software engineering about um, sort of injecting chaos into your your running production application. Um, it sort of came out from the chaos monkey stuff with Netflix and the Fit stuff. Um, but each year, I think this is the third one. They do a community day, which is just a one day conference. Um, and this year it's in San Francisco. I think last year it was in Seattle. Um, or Portland, I think Seattle. Uh, but yeah, this year it's in um, it's in San Francisco. You can read more about it at principlesofchaos.org, I think, or just Google Principles of Chaos. There's a free book that you can you can check out. Um, so I think it's just a one day conference where people are talking about what they're doing and their experiences, and you can ask questions and whatnot. So yeah. So uh, follow us on Twitter at TuringCool. Show notes are at Turing.cool, and I'll uh, talk to you later. Bye.